everyone and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. This week we've got something a bit different as we launch our latest series. Woohoo! This series has developed organically over the last six months. Earlier this year in the spring, I moderated a discussion on how to develop the teams which make change possible with a range of higher education leaders advocating variously for centralised or decentralised action plans, better collaboration between academia and professional services and professional development essential for everyone, including the board. On the panel was Jane Armstrong, Senior Director for Higher Education at Salesforce.org. We got chatting afterwards about how to surface the stories of some of those higher education leaders who weren't always visible. Later, we bumped into each other again at the European EdTech Network launch, a collaboration between IE University, University College London, KU Levin and Olu University of Applied Sciences and formulated our ideas further. In fact, you can hear both these moments happen via episodes 157 and 159. The result of these discussions forms the basis for our latest podcast series supported by Salesforce.org, The Edge, Innovation and Intelligence Imperative. So, The Edge, what does this mean? Well, Edge computing is, quote, ushering in the need for more intelligence, computing power and advanced services at the network edge. But for me, the edge is also the liminal spaces between groups where change happens. My thinking on the edge is highly influenced by my early podcast recording with the then Chief Information Officer for the Federal Communications Commission, David Bray. See episode 65. Around in the early days of the internet, Bray's thinking is very much that it is at the edges, not in the formal centre, where new ideas are formed and developed. He said... We need to change how we train future managers and leaders. If we try and be top down, we will not be able to keep up. In a rapidly changing world, the edge often knows better what is happening than the top. It is with this ethos that we dive into the Edge podcast series, seeking out the stories of higher education leadership among people doing things differently, collaboratively and veering away from the status quo. Who are these people? Well, we don't always know yet but we look forward to finding out and sharing with you. Broadly speaking, we'll be covering the following areas across a seven-part series with a couple of live recordings thrown in for good measure. So those areas being creating a culture open to change, exploring equity, equality and diversity in higher ed leadership, changing the story with the ubiquitous university, looking at 2019 and beyond, serving next-generation learners, lifelong learning for the future and driving equity, equality and diversity in higher ed looking forward. I'm interested in how we might excel in leadership based on both our human and humane qualities whilst in an era of dizzying advanced computing. But with that all behind us, let's proceed to episode one of our series, which was recorded just yesterday in Paris. Uh, So this week's recording is fresh off the press. In this live recording, I speak to Ian Harper, head of digital marketing at Said Business School, University of Oxford. Um, Jorge Villabona, chief marketing officer for ISD Education or ISDI Education. And Jake Hornsby, chief information officer for California State University. And I speak to all three about the trials and tribulations of digital transformation and creating a culture open to change. 
We dig into the approaches of new and old universities in the midst of change. Plus, why is digital marketing and admissions not always about volume, but about curating the right cohort of future leaders? And how can the cultures of academia and new digital agile methodologies be reconciled? Plus, some practical suggestions from our guests that you can implement today. Thanks so much for joining us, to today's guests for their candid views and to Salesforce Org for supporting. And don't forget, if you're not already, you can subscribe by searching for the EdTech podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, here we go. everyone and uh, thank you to Salesforce and to the SET uh, Business School uh, for hosting today. My name is Sophie Bailey and I'm the founder and host of the EdTech podcast and our mission is to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. Today we're going to be talking about digital transformation and creating a culture uh, open to change so we're going to crack that in 45 minutes, no, no problems there and um, I'd like to welcome also my guests. So we have Ian, Jorge, and, and Jake. Um, and what we'll do is we'll kick off with just perhaps in a couple of minutes, give some description to who you are, what you do, and the type of university you're working in. So perhaps scale, types of students, types of courses, that kind of thing. So Ian, would you like to kick off? Sure. Um Great to be here. Um, So yeah, I head up the um, digital marketing team at uh, Oxford University's business school, Said Business School. It's a strange kind of uh, mix of the old and the new. So the business school is only 21 years old, but um, the university is considerably older than that. I think 900 odd years old. So most people will have heard of of Oxford. Um, So the business school, like many business schools, is somewhat autonomous so we have quite a lot of kind of latitude to um, do things our own way we sit within the social sciences division um, and we are obviously a sort of a a very big contributor to that 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 division so we sit quite separately within within Oxford University although obviously we're part of the part of the university Um, my team looks after quite a number of things from sort of data and analytics to CRM marketing automation websites um, social media um, and I guess my focus over the two years that I've been at um, Oxford is really trying to sort of get us to a point where we can uh, measure everything right the way through our kind of marketing stack and also um, do projects in a sort of faster, more agile way, which is, I guess, what would be good to talk about today. Brilliant. Um, and yeah, great. I'm looking forward to our conversation later on measurements, because I know yours are slightly different to perhaps some people's here when they're talking about admissions. So we'll come back to that one. Sure. And Jorge. So my turn. Um, uh, Jorge Villabona, I'm managing all the marketing efforts and communication uh, for Easy. Uh, different from my colleague, um, you shouldn't know Easy. Uh, we are 10 years old. Uh, we were founded in Madrid. But uh, we were born in this like digital environment. So uh, I will share with you some of our like open culture themes and agile methodologies, which today is like the coolest world in the in the world. I mean, we have to target targets individuals and companies. Our mission when we were born was to help people and companies in this like digital era 
through uh, transformation, through uh, technologies, through training. So we are doing uh, basically um, master degrees for the digital era. So we are um, focusing on executives, senior executives, graduates, but mainly our programs are based on digital business things. Um, and we have created like an, an ecosystem around the student, meaning that not only we are doing training, but we are doing uh, papers or research based on digital topics. We are um, accelerating companies, so startups that our students are creating, and a bunch of things, again, to create this, this ecosystem to face the digital uh, environment. And now we are in Mexico City, um, United States, and Paris. Uh, so we're starting to, I mean, not to be so small and so enfant terrible, and, and starting to, to be relevant in, in the sense of number. We have trained more than 15,000 students, more than 200 companies, and accelerate more than 300 uh, startups. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and Jake? <laughs> uh, yes, my name is Jake Hornsby. I'm currently the Chief Information Officer at Cal State East Bay in California, um, actually in right uh, east of San Francisco. Um, Cal State East Bay is actually part of a system of 23 campuses. We have 15,000 students, um, largely not research-based, but more, uh, what would you say, uh, you know, kind of standard curriculum, you know, standard degree, more professional types of, of uh, education. Um, you know, it's, we're a challenge, it's a challenging campus. We used to be the campus that was sort of the quiet one, um, but after, ever since I've been there, um, we are now sort of being watched by the rest of the campuses, <coughs> leading like the efforts in digital transformation, moving to the cloud and CRM. Fantastic. I, I like that phrase, being watched, because my, ne <laughs> my next question was about, um, you know, creating that culture of change. Um, and I wondered what the kind of key ingredients are to get to that state, because I'm sure lots of people here, you know, you come to these events, you get fantastic ideas, but going back and implementing them is, is the tricky part. Um, and I'm sort of thinking about the trust element um, in relation to universities. And Ian, you and I were having a conversation about perhaps that inherent idea of trust in the university and getting the university degree, sort of progressing from there, that trust is perhaps a bit shaken, but also the trust internally, so within academics perhaps, and professional services. You're bringing in new technologies. <coughs> People are questioning, you know, what does this mean for me? So how do you kind of build that trust and, and what are the other factors that are relevant for creating that culture of change as well? Sure. Um, I, guess, I guess I should... Uh um, kind of shout out to the video we, I, I was, we, we, we were discussing, which is an academic at the business school called Rachel Bosman, who's, she, she's done a lot of research on um, what she describes as trust leaps, which is really about looking at how technology, and particularly the sort of accelerated change of technology, you know, with you know, things like social media, um, it's just going so fast that it's requiring people to make these trust leaps, which, you know, when you ask someone to leap too far, you know, you're asking for trouble because um, there's, there's this gap. Um, so I think, you know, uh, if you Google Rachel Bosman, she's got a great TED talk that I heartily recommend because I think whenever you're designing digital products, you kind of have to, have to bear this in mind that the pace of technology change is often far faster than cultural change. And I guess having worked in many different sectors, probably 
less time in higher education, I've been able to sort of compare and contrast different cultures. And I think one of the things that I can speak to um, where I am is that, you know, in, in, in higher education institutions, the culture seems to be set by sort of academia, the academics. And that culture is generally that, you know, they sort of sequester themselves away for years maybe and, you know, just research until something is absolutely perfect and then they sort of publish it and kind of wait to be shot down by peer review and, you know, so there's this sort of terror of getting anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, anyone who's got any familiarity with sort of digital techniques kind of understand that's the sort of, that's anathema to digital de development, which is to really accept that, you know, there's this information gap actually to try and get something, you know, a, a minimum viable product or whatever out to your customers as quickly as possible and let them to uh, let them tell you what's kind of right and wrong with it. And actually, I think one of the most valuable uh, bits of advice, I guess, techniques is actually to try and sort of win hearts and minds internally that that MVP, build, measure, learn methodology is as rigorous and valid as anything else mm -hmm. and actually I think until you can kind of win that battle and convince people that just because something you release as a, a first iteration may not be perfect that doesn't mean that the methodology is flawed or in fact that you're approaching it in a non-rigorous way so there's this there's this tension between academic rigor and I suppose digital transformation and development cycles so different approaches and and Jorge you mentioned that I mean you had the privilege of being able to come up with a structure um, or the founders in terms of um, what you wanted it to be from the outset and I understand your um, structure is quite flat so that kind of feeds into the same yeah I mean we uh, we always say that we were kind of lucky of um, being like built up 10 years ago so as as Ian was telling and you were like um, highlighting what trust do you have in something that has just started? So we didn't have trust, I mean, at all. Uh, versus ESA, versus you guys, versus all the uh, options. <clears throat> so we did something incredibly uh, like simple, which was listening to the client, which is like the basic of, basics of marketing. I mean, today it, it should sound that listening to the client and client-centricity is like the golden rule, but I mean, it has been there for the last 80 years. But we were born listening to the clients. So we listen to the clients, students. We detect some pains. And yes, we have a flat organization because we, are, we, we were born based on projects. So whenever we create a program, so the first program was a, the Master in inter Internet Business and was created in Madrid and Barcelona because there were not enough digital business managers in Spain. And no other university was, was uh, facing that problem. So we created the program, and, and again, following Ian's point, MVP, we were not perfect. Clearly not perfect. Mm -hmm. But in that non-perfect scenario, we react super quickly in the sense of changing experts, changing topics, uh, listening to the, to, the, to the students. We have kind of uh, a boycott in some classes, so we interact super quickly. And again, and we discovered something incredible, which was that students were accepting failure. They were accepting that things were not, if you are transparent in communication, if you are transparent changing things, if you're super quick. And then 
I, we don't have a faculty. We don't have like decades of people managing the company. So there was there were us. Uh, ISD is founded by three people, which is uh, super uh, efficient in terms of uh, decisions, in terms of speed, in terms of uh, making making things happen. I mean, it's not that good in other senses that you can ima imagine. Um, but and, and that was our like way of being born. Ten years after. Uh, MVP thing is not super cool, is not the way it is 100%, because you will be suffering every single day. Mm. So again, you have to balance between, I mean, a, a product. Our products are 10, 10 to 40,000 uh, euros. I mean, you cannot be doing crappy programs, to be honest. You have to be touching perfection and being quick, which is super difficult. So, quick question to the audience. How many of you are from institutions that are over 20 years old in the making? Okay, so I reckon that's at least two-thirds. So, um, I guess if we take your, the business school as a, as a kind of newer part of Oxford University, most of the institutions here, so you're, you're representing that ability to create from new. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions or strategies for those that are perhaps in institutions where the perceived understanding of how things are done is far more embedded. And so perhaps the chain of communication is larger and, and, and perhaps how to go about change in those circumstances. Um, I, I guess what I would say is, although the business school is quite young, obviously the university isn't. And I think, you know, there is a certain inherited culture from, from the wider university. I think, you know, I've worked previously um, for the UK government where, you know, there's very entrenched kind of um, uh, ways of doing things. And um, I worked in the early days of what became uh, uh, the, the government's main website in the UK, gov.uk. And I think there what worked well was creating a very small group within mm. government that was sort of supported at the highest levels by the UK government, but was kind of empowered to sort of take forward these, the, the, these fast change programs in a way that, you know, government, government and IT prior to that was, you know, it was just a kind of litany of expensive disasters. But, you know, that's become quite successful. And I think, I think that model of, you know, it's, it's, it's no good having kind of, you know, you're sort of, you will always have your kind of, your business level champions who really get this stuff, you know, who, who get digital. But I think without that absolute top level buy-in and support, and then being able to create a sort of a, a nimble element that maybe cuts across, you know, our organization is very vertical. So there's lots of verticals of programs, mm -hmm. services, being able to create something nimble that cuts across maybe some of those verticals. I think that's kind of... I saw there was a session later on on um, centers of excellence. And I think that's, you know, that's a great example of people. getting people who wouldn't normally work together actually empowered and supported to work on issues that cut across the organization and maybe aren't part of their day job. Brilliant. So next question. Um, we've, we're talking about digital transformation as well. And so I wondered if we could offer up to the audience, uh, both here and on the podcast, um, some 
one positive example of digital transformation that you've uh, worked on and also perhaps somewhere where you've tried a strategy and it, you know, it hasn't worked or it's failed, but you've learned from it. So, um, Jake, I don't know if you yeah. want to go first. Yeah, I can start on this one for sure. Um, so, uh, our campus, we realized we had a problem. We weren't communicating with students. In, our, in the United States, we have things called like financial aid and they're really important to let students know about stuff or the, if there's a hold on an account. But basically, we were asking first-generation students to go online every day and check and of course, they just magically know how to do all these things, right? And that's not good enough. So we, with a sense of urgency and teamwork and collaboration with all these departments came together all at once. We um, uh, were able to do dozens and dozens of automated journeys in a very, very short period of time. And that was the really good intro to things like Salesforce and things like marketing automation that they were not used to. But it kind of broke down those barriers. We had people working together, as you kind of were mentioning, that never met each other before, even though they'd been there for 20 years. Yeah. It's amazing. And they're yeah. in the same building. So my, the lesson learned was actually basically on that project. So there's some, always within a group of people and collaborators, there's usually a couple key people, right? Um, and when those key people just suddenly disappear all at once, in one day, literally, um, what do you do, right? And so our, the failure there was, thinking ahead, this, what is our contingency for this? How are we going to recover? And then how do we socialize our staff to go, it's okay, we'll, we'll just keep going. And that, that, that's a challenge. And it was an oversight, but it, you know, you'd kind of just, in the back of your mind, hope it doesn't happen versus actually proactively try to yeah, prepare yeah. for it. Retaining those change makers and, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, and, and how about, so the failure was the, yeah, making sure that they're, that, the, oh, the ideas are across the team. Yeah, and thinking ahead, right? And you know, and you know, trying to make sure that there's backups for everybody. And we just didn't do that. We went too fast and didn't have time to really think about that. And I think that was a failure. Okay, brilliant. And Jorge. So um, I think our like best project in the last years, um, and the form is is perfect. Is that two years and a half ago? we were um, approached by a company called Salesforce uh, that we <laughs> were yeah. <laughs> we were clients uh, we have been clients for the last eight years but two years two years and a half ago we they, we, they approached us in Spain and they explained us that they had a problem they were experiencing a problem which was that there was no talent in the markets in the sense of uh, using the technologies uh, understanding Salesforce and, and so on and so forth so this was a bottleneck that was um, not making them super happy because of the of the speed of sales. Okay, they have been approaching like other ten universities in EMEA. The other ten universities, they didn't have the chance, they didn't understand the business, they didn't have the uh, opportunity to do it. And our success was listening, and we react in three months. In three months, we create programs. We test it with our alumni. Uh, we have talent, like 25 people, uh, going back to the market in Spain. Um, and the success was that at that point, Easy was starting not to be that quick, that agile, and that super cool, because it's super hard. So the project was, again, giving us the energy to quickly interact. We, and just everyone listen to this, we, we super fail in a lot of stuff in that program which is called Mastering Marketing Automation. Um, experts were not doing the great classes. Uh, we have to change a lot of things. Students were super patient with us. But two years and a, and a half after that, we are part of the Salesforce training providers ecosystem globally. 
because of that prototyping and that going super quick. Mm -hmm. So it's a massive success because, in fact, today uh, I, I was CMO, but now I'm managing director of that company together with Salesforce uh, that, of, that is offering courses uh, globally. So a, a super good example of you cannot you know, sit in the sofa and look at your success. Uh, the failure is um, this other super like, trend topic, which is online education. We as digital native uh, university, we are supposed to do everything correctly in online education. We do not. <laughs> it's super hard, it's super complex. Now that we are blending face-to-face -face mm. with online, we are, because we are selling 20,000 euros online programs, which is, I mean, super different from MOOCs or from free mm -hmm. uh, education. And it, it, was, it, it is super hard. And our failure is we have been interacting like for the last five years on our online programs, and we are not still near perfection or near something that we are proud of because it's super complex. So again, it's a failure in the sense that we have been interacting a lot of times. We are, you know, keep on um, enhancing and, and, and doing things as, as good as we can. It's super complex. Okay, and so thinking about things may feel like they're failing in the short term as well, but keep going because yeah. the dividends may come. You have to live with that, that and we, which is part of the secret of this MVP, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever it is called. You can choose to be happy with the interactions and with the prototyping, with, with everything evolving, or you can be sad every single day. Because, I mean, students are, they have the channels, they have the possibility of complaining, of requesting, on questioning, commenting. So we tend to choose the first one. Fantastic. Yeah. And Ian, finally. Yeah, I guess, I guess one of the things that's caused, caused us some challenges over, over the last few years is, it, is when we first implemented Sales Cloud um, CRM, we, we had, I think, six different CRMs prior to that, which we were amalgamating in Sales Cloud. And I think, in honesty, what we ended up doing was creating <laughs> six CRMs within Salesforce. Um, and I think, you know, the reason that that happened was that, you know, our implementation partner worked with us and we didn't really have a translation layer. Um, so we had all of the bits of our business that were sort of saying, well, we're different and special and things need to work a certain way. And I, I think, you know, we, we didn't necessarily have a layer saying, well, just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. So mm. we, we have spent some time subsequently changing that quite, quite substantially. So I think in a way it's been, it's been a good learning for us, but I think for, for people starting out on that journey, I think it's um, a good kind of watch out in terms of needing maybe someone within your business who's not, if you are using an implementation partner who's maybe not past that partner, but also not knowledgeable enough of Salesforce to be able to be a go-between. Um, in terms of successes, I mean, I, I think we've used a kind, the kind of principle of what gets measured gets managed to um, really overhaul in the last couple of years our, 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 our kind of analytics and data infrastructure, um, which from a, from a standing start is now we're tackling some really difficult um, challenges around attributing marketing performance across multiple years in some cases and, and multiple channels. So that, 
and, and that's genuinely an area where I'm doing work that I don't think I've not come across in my career. So I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I think that's been a real success. I loved our chat before because, you know, there's a big narrative about admissions and bums on seats in universities at the moment. But you were talking about um, with Inside Business School, it's actually, um, you know, how to curate those leaders of the future and then you're thinking about which countries they're coming from and and that kind of thing and it's a far more complex makeup probably quite particular perhaps to the the university you you work in but I thought it was very interesting yeah yeah absolutely and you know I've worked in industries where it's literally you know you can kind of you know you can't you can't get enough customers you know literally it's just fine customers that's that's challenge one but yeah with the majority of our courses we could probably fill them sometimes several times over organically but you know we want to sort of get that balance between quality we want to make sure it's a kind of a diverse diverse cohort both you know in terms of geography and demography so yeah it's it's quite an interesting uh, challenge to layer then digital marketing and analytics and the way that can help uh, help that fantastic so we have time for one last question um thinking about how you've been influenced, your ways of thinking and your approaches. If you had to pick one thing that our audience could go away and implement, what would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, there's so many places to start. <laughs> the way I started at our campus is I created a program and it was all around student success. So we, it's the only student success program that c- covers all academics and covers um, all um, you know, administrative departments. And we gave it a name. We call it Compass. We made coffee mugs and t-shirts and things like that. Um, because this stuff is scary, right? It, Salesforce and these products are incredibly configurable, which makes them really powerful, but makes them scary, right? And hard. Um, and, you know, you can't, you have to admit that. Um, so, and then we had to break down that, that trust barrier again between, you know, IT and departments. You know, departments typically operate in two modes. One, they buy a product and they use it themselves and it's theirs, or they use the one that's offered by big bad IT, right? And they hate them both, either way. And now we have to collaborate. So now we're sharing these responsibilities and having that dialogue with them early on, that's kind of my tidbit, um, and socializing to how the world works in a fast, agile type way. And a good way to do that, I think, is to use your friends, right? People in this room, all of us that have got somewhere and, and actually, um, you know, had some successes, will be glad to get on conference calls or visit your offices. Um, you know, maybe not me. Like, I'll definitely do the conference call. Um, so it becomes not just the responsibility <coughs> of the CIO; it becomes filtered into the whole. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. If it's just the CIO, you're going to fail. Um, And it's not sustainable. It has to be everybody, and they have to understand why. And one of the failures that I had before I forgot about is that, remember when I told you those people left? The people that were below them, because they were directors, um, never really understood why they were doing the things they were doing and how it actually impacted the students. And if that was there in place, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been such a a shock. They're kind of like, I don't want to do this anymore, right? So, yeah, make sure everybody understands throughout the verticals. If you're nice and flat, that'd be great, but that's not the way most higher ed is. Okay, brilliant. So I will go for two, Sophie, super quick. First thing is, uh, <laughs> we are not that flat. <laughs> I mean, we're flat somehow. No, that, that uh, this client-centric thing, um, we have this like mantra, uh, which is students are not coming to easy and then going back to their lives. We somehow create this environment, this ecosystem, this, this bunch of things. So every time someone comes to easy for the first time, he or she will be forever with us. 
as again as a, as a wishful thinking. So why not the student will be experts in some time? Why not the expert will help people uh, within easy to create better programs? Why not this student will create a company, a startup? So we are trying to make this ecosystem meaning that the marketing that is starting to happen is that recommendation is super high, that they will tell their friends that they, they are part of what they were, um, um, the place where we were learning. So that's functioning super incredible in terms of client-centric uh, things. My second one is uh, being this client-centric, the most important thing after the, the fire invention. Um, don't forget employees. And there is this other trend of employee-centric organizations. Uh, we are stressing the system. Uh, we have sports during the week. Everyone has open calendar, so everyone from the first intern can see the CEO calendar, which is not that easy to manage, but it is as, as it is. You can work at home not informing your manager. So we are doing a lot of stuff uh, to make the, the, the employees like trust in the company, uh, be super comfortable in terms of communication. Everyone knows what he or she is doing for mm -hmm. the project. So the transparency part. Absolutely, uh, until the point that we have problems. Because we are showing the PNL to everyone in the company, which is not super uh, clever, but we are doing that. Um, you will go to the office, and your team, my team is like 25 people, and three of them will be there. I mean, one will be truly in the hairdresser, the other one will be with the kids at home. And it's not that easy to manage, but it's working in the sense of people that perhaps are not that well paid, perhaps they have a super pushy manager, they have this balance with mm. all the rest of stuff. Mm. And again, we don't have the, the, the perfect formula, but things are going like that way in the, in the, in the businesses as a general fact. Fantastic. Um, I've got a book recommendation, actually, if that's all right. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I, I guess what it, it's something I, re I read quite recently, and I think it tackles the sort of challenge that is a lot about what we're speaking of, which is organizations, both in higher ed and elsewhere, are really struggling with adapting to technology change, customer expectations that are being set by you know, the best online companies. And it's, it's really hard. And sometimes the technology is, is not always the hardest part. The culture change is the harder part. So it's a book by a chap called Paul Boag, uh, B-O-A-G, and it's called Digital Adaptation. And it's really a great read if you're looking at ways that you can kind of understand and work within your organization to kind of adapt that culture and adapt to these kind of changes that are coming on in technology. So that's my, um, that's my, my top tip. I, I found it very useful. There's a lot of practical stuff in there that you can take away and implement. So, uh, yeah. So digital adaptation, I think that was called. Yeah, Paul yeah. Boag. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, that brings us to time. So thank you very much for coming along and listening today. Thank you to my guests. And uh, if you want to listen back, again, it's the EdTech podcast. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you'd like to be included in the next episode in our listener feature just say hello who you are and what you do in our 90 second voicemail platform at speakpipe.com forward slash the edtech podcast and we'll pop that in to one of our future episodes you can also follow the conversation online at podcast edtech and at salesforce.org see you next time <laughs>